gospel, and we're going to to look at one of one of my favorite apostles, Peter. I love Peter because he's just so out there. He's just all in, no matter what he's doing or whatever he's saying. He's just so there. So it's an appropriate way to wind up John's gospel. So let's go for it. Verse, we are chapter 21, verse 15. I'm just going to read through the first section of this, starting in verse 15. It says, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. All right, so. Really clear message, actually a very simple message this morning. Big idea, if you love the Lord, take care of his people, right? Jesus, I think Jesus' question for all of us this morning is, do you love me? And if the answer is yes, then tend my sheep. Take care of my people. Love my people, right? If you love me, love my people. Simple, easy, done, I can go sit down now. Got it, everybody got it? Everybody there? Your love for one another has achieved perfection, and your love for the Lord is just amazing and beautiful. We're done? Probably not. I think all of us struggle, do we not? We all struggle with this. Notice the, the strong connection between loving Christ on one hand and caring for his people on the other. They're strongly connected. Jesus directly connects. If you love me, then love my people, care for my people. There's a strong connection there. And that, you see that connection throughout, right? Throughout this gospel, throughout the New Testament, throughout the Old Testament. That's one of the messages of, of God's word to us. Come, what comes to mind is, is one of the, the teachers of, of the Bible, the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, challenged Jesus and said, you know, what is the greatest commandment? And, and Jesus said, well, what do you think? How do you read it? And, and the teacher said, well, to love your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, right? That's the Old Testament gospel. Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. Those two are always connected in God's economy, in God's revelation. You cannot love God and not love his people, right? and vice versa. They are absolutely connected. John it's interesting, in John's letters, he kind of gives commentary to his gospel. He kind of takes a lot of what, G, what he records Jesus saying in his gospel and then develops it and intensifies it in his epistles. And, and in the first letter of John, we'll take a look at that real quick. It'll be on the screen if you don't want to turn there because I'm just going to go there real quick. But in 1 John 4, 7, and 8, sound familiar? 1 John 4, 7, 8, anybody can sing that song? You'll, you'll hear it when, we, when I read it, right? First John 4, 7, 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Notice the connection there? Connection between loving God 
and loving his people. And if you love his people, you love God. If you love God, you love his people. If you know God, you love him. If you love him, you love his people, right? They're absolutely connected. He makes it even really very, very much stronger. Skipping down to verse 19, John says, we love because he first loved us. That's the root. That's the core. If you don't get Christ's love for you, you're never going to be able to love his people because, frankly, his people are tough to love sometimes, are they not? Sometimes we can really can get on each other's nerves. But it's the love of Christ that compels us to love one another. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. All right? Can't get any stronger than that. If you say, oh, I love God, but you hate your brother, you're just lying. And primarily you're lying to yourself because everybody else can see it, right? but you're lying to yourself. And one of the great things about God's commandments, you know, God's rules, is they serve as a diagnostic tool for us. So if we struggle with loving God's people, that's a diagnostic. That's God telling us, hey, you're also struggling in your love for me. You're also struggling in your understanding of my love for you. Right, so the response to that when we, when we struggle, when we struggle with loving God's people is to look at, okay, am I really understanding God's love for me? Finish that passage. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right, so this is John taking what? He learned from Jesus and recorded in his gospel and making it very clear that if we love God, we love our brother. And that includes the ones that are hard to love, right? That includes the ones that maybe aren't like us, right? That includes the ones that are just difficult for whatever reason, whatever your filter is, whatever your issue is. There's certain people that just drive you crazy for whatever reason. They're on the other end of the temperament scale that you're on. That's hard and that's challenging, but that's where we find out and that's where we work out our love for Christ and understanding his love for us. I'm using a handheld this morning, so I won't blow your ears out when I cough. Hopefully, I won't be coughing too much. But So, yeah, that makes sense. If, if we're, oh, thank you, wife. Now that's loving, loving your God, Jesus people, right? That's the love of Christ right there. That's it. That's the illustration. Once again, we're done. <laughs> I'm going to put this down. So I can... It's easy to say, hard to do, right? Anybody anybody here arrive at that level of perfection in terms of think about when, who, in what situation or with what person is it difficult to love? Is it difficult to care? I mean, I'm sure you all immediately, someone comes to mind, right? We all got that person or persons. And that's a place where the Lord wants to sanctify you. Sanctify means grow you up, mature you, grow you into his image, make you more like him. That's where it happens. That's where the rubber meets the road. That's where you really learn the deeper love of Christ for you. So how do we do that? Let's go back to our passage and see how Jesus leads Peter into this. John 21 First thing I want to point out, notice that Jesus has asked Peter, do you love me three times? To the point 
where it's just grieving Peter that Jesus is asking him even the third time, Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, oh, I answered the question twice. Why is, G- why is Jesus doing that? Why is asking Peter three times? Well, you'll probably, most of you recall, how many times did Peter deny Christ? Three times. And that's recent history, right? That just happened a few days before this. Jesus was arrested. He was put before Pilate. He was being tried. And people kept asking Peter, hey, aren't you one of them? Aren't you one of them? You're a Galilean. Aren't you one of them? And Peter's like, no, no, no. And Jesus actually predicted the night before, by the time the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times, Peter. Just And just to give you a, a, sense, a feel of that, a sense of that, Let's look, at, let's look at another recording of it, Luke 22, 59, just to kind of refresh your memory and, and just, just so you can kind of have a sense of that. He's already, Peter's, uh, this recording, Peter's already denied him a couple times. I'm going to pick up in verse 59. It says, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with them, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. Now catch this. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Can you imagine? And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And, li- and listen to what Peter did. And he went out and wept bitterly. I mean, Peter is just cut to the core. You know, he is completely denied his Lord three times, just as Jesus predicted. And as he's denying him the third time, the rooster crows. Peter looks over at Jesus, and Jesus looks at him. And he's just, he's just busted. He's just absolutely busted and just cut to the core, and he's just weeping bitterly. And so Peter is in a state of just total grief, right? But then Jesus is resurrected, which we're going to talk a lot about in the next few weeks, right? And he pulls Peter aside and says, Peter, do you love me? And he says it three times. What is Jesus doing? Is he just trying to rub it in Peter's face? Why is, why is Jesus doing that? What Jesus is doing is he's restoring Peter. He's saying, look, Peter, I know you denied me three times, but I love you. And Peter's saying, Jesus, you know that I love you. And Jesus is essentially affirming that and saying, you know what? Because you love me, Peter, feed my sheep. Right? Because of your confession of faith, because of your true love for me, take care of my people. That's what Jesus is saying. So if we're struggling with being able to tend, care for, love, I promise not to shake your hand after service. If you're struggling with loving God's people, maybe the, one of the first areas you need to look at is, is to understand how God has forgiven you. And look at whether or not you really understand how much Jesus loves you and how he has restored you and what he has forgiven you of. I think when it comes to forgiveness and restoration, there's kind of two, two ends of the spectrum that we can err on. One end of the spectrum is we can say, ah, you know, what I did, it's, it's really not that big a deal. Jesus, he'll just deal with it. It's fine. He's, I'm covered by grace. I'm good. No worries, right? But that misunderstands just how ugly sin is. I mean, Christ, 
God created us as the crown of his creation. All right? We were designed and made to have dominion over all of the earth. We are the crown of creation. He created us for beauty and intelligence and meaning and love and grace and all these amazing, wonderful things. And sin has done vandalism to that. It has torn that. It has rendered it. It has destroyed it. It has tromped on it. It has taken what is most beautiful in all this creation and made it horrific, horrible. The worst things of history. Right? That is what sin is. And it's easy for us to think, oh, it's no big deal. It's sin is sin. All of creation has been been marked by because, because Eve thought, well, it looks good. I'll take a bite, even though the Lord said I shouldn't. A little thing. But all, it, it shattered all of creation. So one mistake is to think, ah, oh, our sin's just man. Sin's not a big deal. The other end of the spectrum is say, I'm just a worm. I'm just a horrible worm. I'm terrible. Yeah, I, you know, the, the true part of this position is, yeah, sin is horrible. The truth on that, but you're missing the fact that God created you for something greater, higher purpose, that in your original creation, you were, you're beautiful. God created Adam and Eve, and they were naked in the garden and knew no shame, and God said it was very good, Right? crown of his creation. Sin is horrible, but he has a higher calling for you and he's willing to ransom himself, spill his own blood to redeem you into his grace and into his life. That's what we have as believers in Christ. And we need to get hold of that, lay hold of that, understand how valuable our salvation is, how rich and full our salvation is. And then as we understand that, petty little irritants that, that other believers cause us are just an opportunity for us to put, be a blessing to them. It's just an opportunity for us to reach out to them, an opportunity to press in with them and to speak truth and love and to challenge what's broken and what's wrong and encourage what's right, right, in love and in grace and in truth and in humility. So we need to get that. We need to get what the love of Christ means. Otherwise, we struggle in how we love one another. Right, so the first thing, the first way we overcome the struggle is to understand how we've been redeemed, how the Lord personally, for each one of us, has restored us if we have put our hope and our faith and our trust in him. If we've come to that point in our lives where we say, you know what, your Lord, you're right. You called me for this amazing pur- purpose, and I've completely blown it and spoiled it and ruined it. And there's nothing I can do to make it better. All the king's horses and all the king's men cannot put Humpty Dumpty together again. But you can, through your blood and through your resurrection, you have given me new life. And you have called me to a resurrected life, an eternity with you forever. So we need to understand our own redemption in order to feed his sheep, in order to care for his people. The other thing, the other thing I think that will help us understand, and, and it's really part and parcel with this and takes this idea even further, actually, I want to kind of stay on that idea and just give you a couple more examples from the scripture. So King David, man after God's own heart, right, did everything really well because he's a man after God's heart, never made a mistake, right? Is that who King David is? Most of you know that King David blew it big time. And how? what did he do with that? How did What did God do with King David in the midst of him blowing it so bad? 
and really the 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 classic all-time big blow it that David did is, of course, he he cheated on his wife. He slept with another man's wife, and then when it looked like it might get discovered, he had the other the woman's husband. He had him sit to the front of the battle and set him up to be to be killed, to be fragged. That's what they call it, be fragged. Frag your frag somebody in the military. So Jesus basically committed adultery and then had a guy killed to cover it up. I, I just say Jesus. You're gonna have to give me a lot of grace this morning because <laughs> my my brain is much. David, King David, just shout it out if I say something ridiculous. Okay, King David did these things are horrible, and he confessed it to the Lord. Actually, he didn't confess it until Nathan Nathaniel confronted him, right? And then that, he finally was cut to the quick on that one. And he confessed it to the Lord and went into a, a period of mourning and repentance before the Lord. And he wrote this psalm. And the psalm comes directly out of that experience. It's Psalm 51. I'm going to read just 1 through 14. David said, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Anybody else here can relate to that? I sure can. Have you not felt that? Have you not been in that place? If you understand just how wicked your sin is, you can track right along here with this, David. And some of you may say, well, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't had a guy murdered, you know? So what did Jesus say? Jesus said, look, if you look at somebody with lust in your heart, you've already committed adultery with them in your heart. Jesus said, if you're angry with somebody, you've already murdered them in your own heart. And then you go, well, who can? I mean, that's an impossible standard. Exactly. It's an impossible standard. What God had intended us, the level of purity that God had created us into, is exactly what it is. Purity. Perfection. Perfect. Right? Anything short of that is sin. And we're all there. We're all broken and fallen. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can all relate to King David regardless of the sin. Verse 4, against you, only you, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Lord, I'm guilty and you're just and right in calling me guilty. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. This is the turning point right here. Notice that. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. We need to start with just being honest with ourselves. We need to start with just saying, you know what, Lord? You're right. I blew it. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to excuse it. Don't try to explain it away or just suppress it. Just be honest about it. And he delights in that. He delights in us just coming clean and being honest with ourselves. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. We all have secret hearts. We all have these little corners of our hearts that only we know, and the Lord knows. But he needs us to be honest about those secrets with him at least. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Has the Holy Spirit ever weighed on you with a, with a pattern of sin where it just feels like he's just breaking you down and breaking your bones and you're just, Lord, and that's God's mercy. That's the Holy Spirit saying, look, you need to deal with this. You need to confront it. You need to 
honest with it and just confess it. Just be honest. And here's another famous song, verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Now catch this. Here's the pivot. Then I will teach transgressors your way and sinners will return to you. See that pivot right there? He went from confessing sin to the Lord, receiving God's grace, receiving God's restoration, and pivoting to, then I'm going to preach that same message to your congregation, to your people. I'm going to care for your people. I'm going to encourage your people to know the same restoration, the same salvation, the same forgiveness that, that you've given me. Right? So as we receive love and grace and forgiveness from the Lord, and we pre- press into that and practice that and walk into that, we have, we'll have so much more to offer the people around us in terms of forgiveness and restoration and reconciliation and, and coming to a place of grace and blessing. Amen? That connection. Continue in our passage. I was going to look at Luke, but I think we'll skip that. If you're interested, you want to see another example of what I'm talking about, you take a look at Luke chapter 7, 41 through 50. A great story. But for, I think for the sake of time, we'll just skip that and come back to our text. So going back to John 21, let's just pick up on our story here. So number one, how do we deal with our struggle and loving Lord's people? And what does that mean about our love for him? Verse 18, Jesus says to Peter, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you must you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. John puts a little commentary in there. So what Jesus is saying to Peter is, you know what, Peter? There's going to come a day where you're going to be martyred. There's going to come a day where people are going to take you where you don't want to go want to go and you're going to be martyred you're going to be put to death that's going to be the end of your life so what's the principle here the principle here is you know what this life is short and eternity is long okay so peter feed my sheep you love me feed my sheep but know know this there's coming a day when you won't have control of your life anymore and and other people are going to just take your life and it's not that far away okay life is brief i've said this so many times and ron and i have certainly experienced that life is very brief and we have this window of opportunity to to love god's people and then that window closes and it's over and then it's eternity forever and here's the thing scripture says that what we do in this life out of faith in christ out of our love for christ carries over into eternity Paul said, whatever you do by faith is precious stones, gold, silver in eternity. Whatever you do apart from faith is wood, hay, and stubble and gets burned up. It's lost. It's a wasted time. It's a wasted opportunity. So if we struggle in terms of caring for one another, right here, this group of people, we struggle with that. Number one, understand what Jesus has forgiven you. 
understand how Jesus has restored you, how much love Jesus has for you, number one. Number two, understand that we just have a short window. Don and I, in two years, we, we shared less than half of our life. I mean, all of our life. It's just the reality. I'm just here to say, I can't say that faithfully. For anything else other than to say, our faith is short. We don't know how, we don't know if we have next week. We don't know if we have tomorrow. So what are we about today in terms of caring for this body? What can, what, what opportunity do we have today to tend his sheep, to feed his lambs? Is that our chief aim in life? What is our great purpose of our life? There's a quote I want to read. It comes from Chris Kittrell, Charles Dickens' Chris Kittrell. And it's kind of in the earlier part of the story. You all know the story where these ghosts will show up um, the, uh, during one night with Ebenezer Scrooge. And the first, the, uh, first ghost that shows up is this old workmate Jacob Marley, and Jacob Marley shows up with all these chains. He's all bound up in his dirt chains, and he's been wandering around the earth, and he's recognized how much of his life was wasted um, taking care of those old chains. They had an accounting business. They just sold chains. Anyway, (laughs) that that was their life. Account, taking care of their numbers, taking care of their business. And, and now he's just a ghost in, in this state of con- constant regret of how he lo- wasted his life. And here's how the quote goes. Ebenezer tries to push back with him, tries to encourage him. And he says, but you were always a good man of business, Jacob, faltered Scrooge, who now began to apply this to himself. Business, cried the ghost, wringing its hands again. Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, and benevolence were all my business. The dealings of my trade were but a drop of water in the, cor- in the comprehensive ocean of my business. Let me read that last line again. The dealings of my trade, meaning doing our little business, this little business that we had together, the dealings of that business was just a drop of water in the comprehensive ocean of my who business, the business of caring for one another, the business of loving one another. That should have, that should have been my primary goal of my life. The full business, the, the focus, the target of my life should have been caring for other people. But instead I made it And Jesus is saying exactly this. Jesus is saying, do you love me, Renaissance Church? If you love me, the full purpose, focus, target of this life in this world is to love one another as an expression of your love for me. You struggling with that? Come to me. Confess your sins to me. Let me show you how much I love you. Let me show you how much I've restored you. Let me show you what I've restored you from. Let me show you what I'm restoring you to. Right? We need to get there so that you can really be an instrument in this short 
window of time that you have. Amen? Has Jesus ransomed, forgiven, and restored you? Do you love him more than these? Loving Jesus by loving his people is what each person Lord, I just praise you, God. I confess to you just how much I have made my work, God, or how much I have made the collection of things, the setting of the table as, as the chief deal, Lord, rather than people. Lord, I confess that to you, and I confess to you my misunderstanding, my misapprehension of how much you have loved me, how much you've restored me, how much you've given me, how much you've promised me, and how much you will fulfill that promise, Lord. Help me to see that. Help me to get that, Lord, that I might be an instrument of your grace, your love, your mercy, and your help to those around me, and particularly to your sheep, to your lambs. So this flock, they are lambs of your fold, Jesus. Help us all, Father, to love one another. In your son's name, amen.